Let's just focus our hearts on, on the holy God. Let's sing to him today. Who else commands all the hosts of heaven? And who else can make every king bow down? And who else can whisper and darkness tremble? It's, it's a unique expression um, of love to God. It's, it's us being able to say, God, you, you are awesome. You are worthy. God doesn't want us to just uh, sit back and watch all the great things he's done. He wants us to recognize that greatness and worship him for, his, for who he is. And he, it, this verse says, who else can rescue me from my failing? Do you guys know anybody else who can rescue you from your failures? Only God. Who else would offer his only son? 
I don't have any friends that would do that. I don't, I don't know anybody else. Who else invites me to call him father? Maybe you didn't have a father. Maybe you had a, a, a poor father image. But God is your perfect heavenly father who invites you to call him father, daddy. That relationship piece. Guys, what we're doing right now is just saying, God, you're, you're the only one. You're the only one that would do that for me. Let's sing that verse again. Who else could rescue me from my would offer his only son only you God who else invites me to call him father and only a holy God only my holy God only my holy God come on sing this out
God, I could have just uh, kept singing those words. I just thank you for the truth that you never let go of us. Even on our worst day, God, you love us and you invite us back into that relationship. And we just come to you humbly, say we need you, God. And we, we say that today. We need you, Lord. Every hour we need you. God, we just pray that you continue to speak to our hearts today as we worship you through um, looking at your word and, and just praising you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. While Curtis changes my battery really quickly too long last week because the battery's dead. So. This morning we're going to continue on in our series in the Gospel of Luke. It's been fun these past week just spend time in the Gospels. Uh, so many times we spend most of our time in the church talking about uh, the letters that the apostles wrote to the various churches and the commands and the encouragements and the exhortations that, that were given. But I feel like at the very heart of, of what we are as a church, at the bottom line every day, my goal is to do what Jesus did. And, and that's the reality of, of what our Christian walk is about. All right. Yay, team. <laughs> Flawless. Not quite a baton, baton exchange, but pretty close. And so... The first week we talked about the theme in, in Luke that we've chosen is deliver me. Those things that we find deliverance and freedom from in our relationship with Jesus Christ and following him. First week we talked about delivering us from temptation and how he gives us the ability uh, to stay away from and say no to the temptations that are around us. Some caused by our fallen nature, some caused by the evil one. Last week we talked about physical maladies and physical sickness the times in the context of the Gospels throughout Jesus' ministry that he healed people from various sicknesses and how sickness affects us and how God has power over that and how he also uses, us, uses that in our lives. 
This morning, as we're progressing on in the book of Luke, we want to talk about deliver me from the evil one. And we want to look at the part of Jesus' ministry that had to do with him casting out demons and him casting out impure spirits and, and, and the effect and the reality of that interaction, inter, interaction between us in the physical world and those that are fallen in the spiritual world. And so this morning I want to begin by just reading part of Luke's account of the casting out of the demon of the, of the man of Gerasene, and then we're going to jump off from there and talk about various things about delivering us from the evil one. This is Luke chapter 8, verses, beginning with verse 26. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and the demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. And the account goes on to say that after they went into the pigs, that the pigs ran off a cliff and were drowned. And I want to finish by talking about the man who had been freed from the demon. Verse 38, the man from whom the demon had gone out begged to go with Jesus. But Jesus sent him away, saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Let's pray. Father, this morning we look at and enter in to the scriptural teaching about a realm that we do not truly understand because we cannot see it with our physical eyes. And yet that doesn't make it any less real. It just means that we have to trust your word, we have to trust your teaching, we have to trust the Holy Spirit's speaking in the, in the quiet recesses of our heart to give us insight into what we need to know about this spiritual battle that rages around us. And so we pray that you'd give us insight and wisdom. We pray, Father, that you would give us the ability to understand our enemies so that we can better live in obedience to you, our King. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Evil spirits very much a part of Jesus' ministry. Where did they come from? What was their origin? How did they come to be, take possession of human bodies that Jesus had to deliver this individual from their power? There's three places in Scripture that tell us about the origin of these demons and evil spirits and even Satan himself. The first one is in Isaiah chapter 14. And I've written these, these scriptures in your, in your bulletin so that you can look at them. I'm not going to take the time to read each one. Satan originated as an angel of God. 
as an angel of light. And yet he chose to disobey and to rebel against God, his creator. And because of that rebellion, God threw him out of heaven and cast him to the earth. And with him, Satan took a third of the angels of heaven that God had created. And so within the spiritual realm, we have angels that are created by God in obedience to God that bring glory to God. And we have angels that were created by God that rebelled against God and were thrown out from the presence of God. And that's the origin of the demons, of the evil presence that we see Jesus delivering people from in the Gospels. First thing to recognize is that demons like angels are created beings. They're not gods. They don't possess the character and the qualities that God has. They can't be everywhere at the same time. They don't know everything. They're not all powerful. The only difference between them and us is that we are created beings that are confined to a specific place and we're physical. Our existence is physical, whereas they can pass between the spiritual realm and the physical realm. They have that ability. God created all different kinds of angels. As you look through the pages of this book, there's, there's, there's Michael the archangel, and we see the cherub in the vision of Isaiah in, chap, in, in uh, Isaiah chapter 6. Lots of different angelic beings and, and creatures that God created that we see pictures of them in Revelation. God, the, the same creativeness and creativity that we see in, in creation around us in our physical world, God used to create these angelic beings and ultimately the ones that fell as well. So what about their influence? What kind of influence do these evil spirits and demonic spirits and Satan himself have? What abilities do they have in terms of how, how can they affect us? The first thing I want to draw your attention to is, is the opening chapters of Job. Because in, in Job, we have a unique insight of a conversation between God and Satan himself. And from that conversation, we can take some insight into what, how they can affect us and, and, and their influence in our lives. The first thing I want you to notice is that they are able to influence us physically, to take some measure of control over our physical beings as God allows. Twice in the opening chapters of Job, Satan asked God if he can touch Job and affect him in some way. The first time he comes and he asks God, can I take away everything that he has? And God said, I will allow you to do that, but you can't lay a finger on him and his physical well-being. And I was struck this week as I, as I read that passage that part of what God allowed Satan to do was not to touch Job, but to actually cause calamity to come and take the lives of his children. I mean, that's pretty harsh reality of the power and influence of the evil one. But yet limited by what God said. The second thing we see is Satan came to him and after the first after Job fared very well in the first round of trials, Satan came back to him and he said to said to God, I'd like to touch him physically. 
I'd like to infect him with, with boils and see if he will renounce his faith in you if I touch him physically. And we know the rest of the story that Satan did that to Job, and Job was found faithful and remained. And so within the demonic culture and this unseen spiritual world, as God allows, they have the ability to touch us and to affect us in a physical way. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, there's a familiar verse in which Paul is talking to, to God, a form of a prayer, and, and he says, I have this thorn in my flesh, this thing that, that affects me physically. And there's, there's debate among scholars about what that exactly it was, but it was some kind of a, a physical malady that Paul struggled with. And he said, I've asked God three times to take this away. And in the context of that prayer, he said, he calls this thorn in the flesh a messenger of Satan. That is some physical thing that affects him, and he sees that as an influence of Satan in his life. So the evil world and the demonic influence can, has the ability under God's supervision to affect us physically. And probably as significant as that or more so is the fact that they can affect us spiritually. They can have a spiritual effect on us. Two weeks ago, we looked at the temptation of Jesus. And we looked at the reality of Satan coming and presenting himself before Jesus Christ in the moment of his weakness, at the end of his time of fasting, and in which he was physically weak and physically tired. And Satan came to tempt him at that time. And I, and I want you to recognize that, that Satan and, and these demonic influences have the ability to tempt us, but they don't always tempt us in a way that we would expect. One of the temptations that Satan laid out for Jesus in Luke chapter 4, he quoted Scripture. He quoted Scripture to Jesus. But Jesus, recognizing that it was out of context, corrected him. So in the spiritual realm, Satan and his, his throng have the ability to tempt us. Sometimes they use our fallen nature. Sometimes they use our, our fleshly desires and, and, and the things that, that we need to maintain our physical life. They play into those things. It's significant to recognize that Satan himself and all of the angels that fell with him are fallen beings just like we are. And so they understand the process that went through in their mind in order for them to rebel against God. And so they, they understand us in that way, what it means to be fallen and the process that happened in order for them themselves to fall. The second thing that they can do to us is deceive us in the spiritual realm. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 says, The Spirit clearly says that in latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. What's it mean to deceive? Deceit means to present something in a way that's not truly the way it is. The truth is being left out and, and something is being put in place of it. There's a real good word picture in 2 Corinthians about Satan and how he deceives us. 2 Corinthians 11 verses 14 and 15 and no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel, angel of light. 
It is not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. So in the spiritual realm, Satan and his demonic throngs can deceive us, can come to us in in a manner in which they look legitimate. It sounds right. Maybe it's even laced with Scripture. But the purpose is to pull us away from the principles and the precept in our relationship with God. They can tempt. They can deceive. They can blind. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. The God of this age, Satan himself, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Do you realize if you're a child of God this morning that in order for you to come to a place in which you recognize your need of a Savior, that God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, had to remove from your eyes the spiritual blinders that were put there by the God of this age. It wasn't like you woke up one morning and decided, you know, I really need to trust Christ. We don't come to Christ on our own. We come as the Spirit draws us and the power of the Holy Spirit removes these blinders for our eyes and we are open to the reality that we need Christ. And without Him in our lives, we're nothing. We're unholy, fallen creatures. The God of this age, Satan and his demons, can blind us to the reality of our spiritual need. And then finally... In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 26, they can trap us. They can pull us into a place in which we feel trapped and consumed and there's no way out. 2 Timothy 2.25, opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will guard, grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. And that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. We can be trapped by the influences and the things that Satan puts before us. But there's good news in all this. They don't have the ability to run unchecked and have full reign and power in the world in which they live. Their status, Satan and his hordes, they're dominated. They're dominated. They're not the ultimate authority. In Job chapter 1, the sixth verse, in the early part of that narrative... There's a a phrase that says that the angels came to present themselves before God and Satan came along also. That word present there is a significant word. There's only two places in the Old Testament that that particular word for present is used. One is this place. The other is the place in which the people were told under the Old Testament law to present themselves to the priest for various things, for for cleansing or to present a sacrifice or a sin offering or whatever the case may be. They were to present themselves. And so in that context, when we find in Job chapter 1 that Satan came to present himself to God himself, that's a picture of one who is dominated. That's a picture of one who is under an authority. We present ourselves as a position of authority to someone that we acknowledge as being higher than we are. And so Satan is dominated. 
Any control and authority that he or his demons have in this world is only within the realm that God allows them to function. God says within this box, just like he did with Job, within this box, I give you freedom, but outside of that, you have no power. And so demons and Satan are a dominated foe. They're a defeated foe. In Matthew chapter 8, the, the parallel account of this one that we read in Luke, the demon, when he speaks to Jesus, says this. This is Matthew eight twenty nine. What do you want with us, son of God, they shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? What does that mean? That means that they acknowledge the fact that their time and influence is limited. They know what their end is. They rebelled against a holy God, and he cast them out of his presence. The end of that is judgment and wrath because that's what God's holiness requires. And even this evil spirit, as he came out of this man, acknowledged, have you come to torture us before the appointed time? We have an appointed time. We're a defeated enemy. They are a disarmed enemy. One of the things that's significant in a few moments, we're going to celebrate the Lord's table together. And, and oftentimes we talk, we most often talk about how that affects our salvation and, and we're cleansed from our sins. But there's a lot of other things that happened because of the death of Jesus Christ. A couple of passages in Colossians that talk about how his death disarmed the ability of Satan and his demons to have influence in our lives. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Because of his shed blood, because of his rising from the dead, he triumphed over. They are a disarmed enemy. And in Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us, brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. So they are a disarmed enemy. One thing that they are also is a dangerous enemy. And because it's not something that we can see, if, if we were to go out the, the doors this morning and, and see tanks and armed forces and military, and we would recognize that if they weren't friendly, that we would be in grave danger. In the spiritual realm, it is not that different. When we move and go about, there is an enemy, and it is real, and they are real, and they are dangerous because they desire to tempt and deceive and to blind and to trap. They also know what their end is. And Satan, in the same way that he grasped and drew a third of the angels out of heaven to fall with him, desires to take as many with him from the physical dwelling on the earth as he can. There's nothing more dangerous than a wounded animal or an enemy that knows that their end is near. They have nothing to lose. And so even though he's dominated and defeated and disarmed, he's dangerous. And we need to acknowledge and recognize that. Those of us that have accepted Christ as our Savior, we have an assurance 
about this evil one, about these evil influences. I want to turn your attention back to Luke chapter 11. It's, it's, it's interesting. This is why I love the, the Word of God. Uh, several weeks ago, we used this passage in the context of new beginnings. This morning, I want to use the same passage in, in the context of what we're talking about, impure spirits and de- demonic demons. Luke chapter 11, verses 24 through 26. This is how our, the assurance that we have in Christ. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept, clean, and put in order. Then it goes out and takes seven other spirits, more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. In Genesis, in the creation account, we're told that we were created in the image of God. And part of what that means is that within each one, each human being that God creates, there is a house or a hole or a place that is designed and meant to be filled with a relationship with our Creator God. And because we fell, and because we're sinful creatures, God cannot come in and fill that house or that dwelling place in our heart because of our sinful condition. And it's only by the blood of Jesus that cleanses us, and this God-shaped vacuum or God-shaped hole or house, as it were, as it's referred to in this passage, can be filled. And that fulfills us as created beings of God. That's what he designed us for. The reality is that place in our heart is truly a vacuum. It has to be filled with something. If you're using a vacuum around the house and you go by, it instantly reaches out and it sucks things in, some that you want, some that you don't. There's a a draw to it. And that's the way it is with this house, this spirit, this soul that God has placed within us. It draws something in. And it will be full of something. And if we choose to place our faith in Jesus Christ and his shed blood on the cross, then that place will be filled with a relationship with the holy God that created us. And that house will be full, and it will be protected, and it will be, it will function in a way that God decided for us to function, designed for us to function. And the reality is, if that is the case, then we have nothing to fear about Satan and his throngs. Because our house is full. That vacuum is taken care of. Nothing else can be drawn in. 1 John 4, 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. There's only room for one God in our hearts. The scary part of the picture is for those that don't know Christ because they have that same vacuum. They have that same draw. They have that same desire. And and as Paul repeatedly says as he leads us in worship, 
God designed us to worship, and we will worship something. We will fill that hole with something. And if it's not filled with the reality of a relationship with the Creator God, it will be filled with something. And that can be things. Or it can be the influence of Satan and his throngs. We're vulnerable if we don't know Jesus Christ. One of the provisions that we have in Christ is the fact that God acknowledges and recognizes this spiritual warfare. He knows that when he cast Satan to earth, that Satan's desire was to wreak havoc with the people and influence all that he could. And so for those that have put their faith in Christ and have have accepted Christ into that God-shaped vacuum into their lives, we have these spiritual provisions to help us to function and thrive and be strong. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. If you're taking notes this morning, I encourage you to write these down and go back and look through them in more detail. This is our provision for our spiritual battle. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. If you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then you have Him and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your heart. And all the provisions that God has given us to stand strong in the reality of this spiritual battle that rages around us is ours. It's at our disposal. But the reality is, in order for a soldier to be protected by his armor, he has to put it on. He has to put it on. He has to use it. And all of these things, all of these items that are talked about in that list, we have to pick them up and take them as a provision of God to help us walk in victory in this spiritual warfare and the spiritual battle that we find raging on around us. This morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I would beg you to ask Him to come in and to fill that hole that's meant for God Himself. The good news is that if you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior and you're vulnerable to the influence of Satan and the influence of our fallen nature, in the same manner that when Jesus said to the impure spirits, depart from them, they had to leave. And the reality is for us, 
when we come to a place that God removes the blinders from our eyes and we say, God, I need you. I need you in my life. I want you to fill the emptiness and the hole. I recognize my sin. I recognize I'm unholy in your sight. I recognize that Jesus died for me and his blood cleanses me in the same manner and in the same power in which Jesus removed the evil spirit's presence. He can come in with a prayer from you and fill your house. Fill the spirit that God has put within you. Deliverance is quick and easy because of the power of Jesus Christ and his shed blood. For the body of Christ, we're protected. For those that don't know Christ, there's a vulnerability and a place of uncertainty. So I pray that God would impart to you what he wants you to know. If you've never trusted Christ, I would encourage you to to just say that prayer to God or pull aside one of the staff or one of the elders. We'd love to pray with you and help you find fulfillment and peace and cleansing and forgiveness in the name of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for just the clarity of your word. Lord, you want us to know what goes on around us that we can't see. You want us to know how it affects us and the influence that it can have in our lives. But you also want us to have full assurance of the fact that this is a defeated enemy. The only influence they have is what you allow. They can go no further than the permission that you grant. And ultimately, you will defeat them and they will receive the judgment that they deserve. Father, I pray that you, we would take encouragement from your word this morning. We would stand fully in the armor that you've given to us and stand strong and stand firm against those things that come into our lives and come up against us that are rooted in the evil forces around us. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. It's significant this morning as we celebrate the Lord's table, we most often talk about the mercy and grace and forgiveness that we find in Christ's death on the cross. But the reality is there's so much more than that. And some of the things that we have talked about this morning are evident as far as that same blood frees us and gives us victory over the forces of evil around us. Let me read for you Colossians chapter 2 and add a couple verses to the verse that we read in the context of the message this morning. It says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. When I was dead in my sins, the Holy Spirit came to me and removed the blinders that the God of this age had over my eyes so that I could see the reality of my sinfulness, the reality of my need, the reality of my inability to stand or deserve anything from a holy God. 
He removed those blinders. It says he made us alive with Christ. We were dead in sin. That's what controlled us. He forgave us all our sins. All of the sins of my past, all of the sins of my future are covered by the blood of Jesus. That's what we celebrate with this table. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. God's wrath was poured out on Jesus on the cross so that his wrath did not have to be poured out on us who deserve that. That's the mercy and love that we celebrate when we think of Jesus' death on the cross. And then almost as a side note at the end of this passage, it talks about, and along with that, he disarmed all the powers of the evil within this world, all through his death and his resurrection. This morning as we celebrate the Lord's table together, I just would encourage you to take a few moments and just quietly in your heart, just have a conversation with God. This is an intimate time between you and your Savior, acknowledging His love and His mercy, acknowledging His presence in your life, acknowledging all the, the things that His death gives us in terms of victory and ability in this life in which we live, plus the hope of eternity. Take a few moments with God. We invite you, if you're visiting with us this morning, if you put your faith and trust in Christ, we want for you to celebrate this table with us. This is not a denominational thing or a fellowship thing. This is a kingdom of God thing. The kingdom of God is those who have placed their faith and trust in Him, irregardless of the church that you attend. And so I'm going to pray, and then as you feel led, come forward and we'll partake of the Lord's table together. Father, thank you this morning for the reality of what you did for us on the cross. Lord, we can never fully comprehend what that means. And yet, we're grateful that you did that, that you took the initiative. You could have left us in our sin and allowed us the death and judgment that we deserved, but you took the initiative to come to us. You take the initiative to remove the blinders from our eyes. You take the initiative to draw us to yourself so that we can enjoy the full benefits of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Father, may we worship this morning as we celebrate. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
with my hands lifted high. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. sunrise stick around for the new to sunrise if you if you uh, can or you're able to stay i think we have plenty of food so 